Thank you very much. What a blessed day we had. Many of us were able to go over to the park and, and have a great picnic today, and it was so much fun. I, was a little, I told them this morning, I was a little bit nervous because I wasn't sure they would brave the weather because when I went home to get Nancy to take her over, it rained between here and there, so I figured, oh, no, we're going to get a washout. Well, we did not get a washout, and it turned out to be a very, very nice, beautiful day. A little breeze to keep off any kind of heat, and we did not see one mosquito. So it was a very, very enjoyable day and had lots of good food, and so praise the Lord. This evening, we're going to be in Isaiah 49. So if you want to turn there, Isaiah 49. I know I've been saying this every week, but it is this portion of Isaiah is so much more refreshing to me. We spent a lot of time getting here, but now from 40, chapter 40 on, it's been much easier, quite frankly, to teach and uh, more satisfying. Let me read, oh, just the first verse of Isaiah 49, and we'll pray, and then we'll get into our lesson this evening. Isaiah 49, verse 1, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. If you're taking notes, Roman number one is the work of the Messiah. The work of the Messiah. And then letter A is the Messiah calls the people of the earth to listen. The Messiah calls the people of the earth to listen. Listen, O isles, unto me. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love. Thank you for this wonderful day you've given to us. And thank you for the opportunity of meeting together like this. Lord, believers who are interested in your word and want to know more about it and desirous of you speaking to our hearts, would you please meet with us tonight in a special way? And thank you for this chapter. Now, Spirit of God, would you lead us and guide us and give to us what you would have for us tonight? And Lord, we're so privileged be able to call upon you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Messiah calls the people of the earth to listen. A call goes out to all the distant lands to hearken. Why? Because a significant message is about to be delivered. The speaker seems to be the Messiah. He declared that he had been called by his father while still in the womb and had been given the name Jesus. Luke 131, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Verse number 2, And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. I love the imagery here, but talking about a mouth with a sharp sword doesn't take a lot of imagination to wonder who he's talking about. Letter B, the Word, the Messiah, is like a sharp sword. The Word, the Messiah, like a sharp sword. The Word of God is as a sharp sword. Every word spoken by the Messiah, both verbally and written, is sharp and decisive. As his servants through the centuries have wielded his word, it is similarly cut to the heart. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The reference to being hid in his hand and his quiver could describe his father's protection, keeping him safe until the prescribed time of his death. I find it interesting, but we underestimate on a regular basis the power of the Word of God. I'm listening to a, a book, an audio book right now on, on a, a gal that's gone through some intense uh, hurt and how she responded to it, got help, and uh, went to the scriptures, and, and then got professional help, and just the different things. And it's interesting to me how, how the, the power of the Word of God uh, is unleashed as we allow it so. The Word of God, the Word, the Messiah, like a sharp sword, it goes where counseling can, adversely. Sometimes we refuse to hear the Word without counseling. And so God uses the two of them oftentimes together. Verse number three, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Let her see, the Messiah is representative of Israel. In light of the following passages, this reference seems to apply not only to Israel as a nation, but to the one coming out from them and representing them, the Messiah. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. The Jews didn't get it. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, God makes reference to the light to the Gentiles, to him bringing a message of salvation to the Gentiles as well, and yet we get to the New Testament, and it's, it, the, the Pharisees don't get it whatsoever. They're completely blinded to the fact that God's message is to go to the Gentiles as well. Yes, it was to the Jew first, but not exclusively. It was to the Jew first and to the Greek or to the Gentile. Verse 4, Then I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for naught, and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. Letter D. The Messiah's initial efforts were rejected. He came first to present himself to his people, the Jews. We know that his efforts to reach them were largely in vain. Oh, there were individuals here and there, but as far as a nation, they categorically rejected him. They violently caught him and crucified him to try and contain his heretical message. In Matthew 23, 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. John 1, 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 5, And now, saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Did you catch it? Though Israel be not gathered, or even if they're not gathered, yet 
shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord. Now that's interesting. Isn't it possible that Jesus could have felt like he were a failure? A failure? He came, and he came to his own, and they rejected him. A failure, and yet it says right here, yet even though he was rejected, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord. He still pleased his father. Letter E, the Messiah remained resolute in his father's glory. The Messiah, Jesus, spoke of his calling from the womb to be his father's servant and to restore Israel to him in pure worship once again. Though Israel would reject his first offer, he would remain glorious in the eyes of the Lord and would reach a pure and completely saved nation when he returns a second time. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness. From the womb in the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. Verse 6, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Remember, this is Old Testament. Letter F. The father sought to see his son's mission fulfilled completely or clear around the globe. It was the desire of the Heavenly Father to bestow honor on his son. Here he stated that for Jesus the Messiah to restore Israel to their Heavenly Father would be, he calls it a, a light thing, or only a partial act of glory. For Jesus to be fully glorified, he would have to receive the salvation of the Gentiles as well. So had he received the honor from his own, he would have only been partially fulfilled because the message was to go to Jew and Gentile alike. Acts 26, 17 and 18, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Verse 7, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. You've got to read this several times to pick it up. The Lord all caps, is Jehovah. Thus saith the Lord. And as if it stops right there, and then he says, Thus saith the Lord, he's speaking of then the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One. The temptation is to put that all together. The sense seems to be the Heavenly, the Heavenly Father speaks of Jesus, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One. God is describing the work and rejection of his Son. Man will despise and reject Jesus, beginning with his own nation, Israel. 
Isaiah 53 and verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We know that Jesus made himself of no reputation, but he submitted himself to the human rulers of the day. Matthew 17, 24, When they were come to Capernaum, they, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. When he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custody or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take, and give unto them for me and thee. In the day of the Lord's reign as king of kings, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear or confess. Verse 8, Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritage. Letter H. The Messiah here appeals to his Father on behalf of the lost. In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. Who's the thee? I believe it's the Messiah praying to his Father on behalf of the lost. Jesus, I'm sorry. G is the Redeemer will be despised before he will be worshipped. Despised before he will be worshipped. And letter H is the Messiah appeals to his Father on behalf of the lost. Jesus, the Messiah, apparently prayed to his Father for additional grace on behalf of those lost in sin. The verse is the Father's answer to his prayer. The Father replied that he received his prayer in an acceptable time. It's interesting. Do you mean it's possible that there was an unacceptable time? <laughs> Meaning, salvation's offer for man. I think that's the key. The key is not that Jesus has a limited offer time. The fact is that we have a limited time. Salvation's offer for man is a limited offer. For instance, you will not be able to call upon God for salvation after you die. Limited time. You also will not be able to call upon God after his calling ceases. And we don't know when that is. When a man denies the Lord enough times, says no, 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 and he quenches the Spirit enough times, the Spirit quits calling. 
The father replied that he, uh, let's see, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So is there or should there be any urgency on our part in sharing the gospel with the, with the lost? Should we feel any urgency, or should we just feel like, well, they're just going to live forever, and so it doesn't matter. The offer of salvation will be on the table for them forever. They'll just, they'll just take, or should we realize that, behold, now is the accepted time. The Father, further committed to his people, Israel, I will give thee for a covenant of the people. Jesus came to offer salvation to the Jew, his covenant people, first. He pictures the future spiritual restoration of his people by describing the rebuilding of the land of Israel and the desolate heritages and bringing life again to the ruins of Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. Isaiah 51.3 For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Psalm 2 and verse 8, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And sometimes, quite frankly, we can't tell, is he talking about the time after the Babylonian return? So after 70 years in Babylon, Babylonian captivity, and the remnant comes back, is he talking about that time of rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls? Or is he talking about that time, a future time in the millennium, when, the, uh, when Jerusalem, the temple, will all be rebuilt into a glorious time? Sometimes they overlap. Sometimes I believe it's ambiguous. Talk, talk about either one. Verse number 9, That thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. Well, letter I, the Father promised to provide for his children. I was thinking about that just today. I'm so glad that we can depend upon our Heavenly Father to provide for us. Just thinking back the times that we didn't know how God was going to meet our needs. Going through Bible college, my land. We had no idea how God was going to meet our needs, but he never failed never, ever failed. And looking back all after all these years, 45 years of marriage, realize all the, the difficult, the seemingly, you know, for us, because we couldn't see how he was going to do it, it always felt hard. For him, it was easy, because he knew how he was going to take care of it. But looking back, he always met our needs, always. Why? Because the father promised to provide for his children. Now, tell you what, I've got three daughters, and I will do everything possible not to let them suffer. Why? Because a father promises to provide for his children. The father's answer to his son continues. Jesus is told to tell the prisoners, those who are chained in sin and darkness, their souls lost, to now go forth or walk away from your darkness. He told them to show themselves. The image here is someone stepping out from the cover of darkness into the bright light. 
And then he promised to feed them in the ways, or in the way that he would lead them. They would graze abundantly on the lush vegetation found in those places that were typically desolate, in those high places, those places that don't get a lot of rain, but in this time, they will be lush. God will provide for them in ways thought impossible. Ezekiel 34, 14, I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. And the commentators say, well, that doesn't make any sense because there's no lush vegetation up there on the high mountains. It's real dry up there. Ah, not when the Lord returns. When the Lord returns, he's going to change everything. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. And of course, Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Verse 10, They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. Letter J, the Messiah tenderly cares for his own. Under the loving care of the Messiah, his children will never hunger or thirst. He will meet their needs as a loving father would his children. Instead of enduring the burning rays of the hot sun, his children will enjoy the shelter of their shepherd. Instead of being forced to endure suffering like the heat of the burning sun, his grace will protect and comfort those whom he loves. Like the shepherd who leads his sheep beside the still waters and green pastures, so the Messiah tenderly cares for his own. Revelation 7:16. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I was just thinking about how God meets our needs and how tender and merciful and gracious he is to meet our needs. I went to camp, I remember, as a kid, and I remember, I remember thinking how, how incredible it was at camp because they had all this food out there and all these things. And I remember a couple of the campers there, the guys were complaining because they were saying, we don't have this and we don't have this and they don't have this at this camp and this is not at this camp and this is not at this camp. And I'm thinking, my land, they got everything here. It's incredible. Now, what's the difference? The difference, the difference is I, uh, I came from a place that didn't have all the luxuries like that, and so I was just being blown away. They came from apparently a very pampered background. And so I can say God abundantly met my needs while they gripe and complain and say, why isn't God meeting my needs? It's just interesting perspective. Number two. God will restore Jerusalem and recall his people. Verse 11, And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Letter A, God will facilitate the return of Jerusalem to, his, uh, to Jerusalem of his people. He will facilitate the return to Jerusalem of his people. 
Through the initial, or though the initial application of this verse looked to the Jews returning to Jerusalem after the 70 years of captivity. God said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to make it easy for you to get back there. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to smooth the way, if you will, for the remnant to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the walls. The ultimate fulfillment, however, of this verse will be at the end of the tribulation and into the millennium when Jews will be called from all parts of the globe to return to their homeland in Israel. God will facilitate, facilitate their pilgrimage by adjusting the topography of the earth. There's going to be, toward the end of the tribulation, a massive earthquake. And in response to that earthquake, the mountains are going to crumble. And the valleys will be filled up. So the mountains will crumble and the valleys will be filled up, making it level ground. For what purpose? So the people all over the world can make their way back to Jerusalem. God is going to providentially make it so that it's easy for them to return. Isaiah 40 in verse 4, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it, and the mouths of people will be open in awe. <laughs> what God does. Verse 12. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and from these from the land of Sinim. Letter B. Jews will return from all parts of the globe. The call to return to Jerusalem will be heard worldwide. Jews will come from far or from unnamed distant lands. They'll come from the north, they'll come from the west, and they will come from the land of Sinem. Sinem is mentioned no place else in Scripture. Its location has many different suppositions. One missionary to China stated, that the Chinese have been known from the time immortal by the name Chin, T-S-C-H-I-N. Chin means a Chinaman. Revelation 7, 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. From all parts of the globe they will come to Jerusalem. Verse 13. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Let her see. A joyous celebration will surround this announcement. The announcement of the coming call to return home to Jerusalem was a joyous message, one to be celebrated. It is not uncommon for the earth and the heavens to be implored to break out into singing over exceptional events. Such is the case with this announcement. Isaiah 44, 23, Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth, 
Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. It's interesting when you consider the people who received this letter. Those people who are awaiting Assyria to come and destroy them. They're the ones reading this letter for the first time. Verse 14. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Letter D. Israel was in no mood to celebrate. <laughs> Here you have on the one hand, God giving them this letter of, of encouragement. Yes, you're going to be overthrown. Yes, you're going to be destroyed. Yes, the whole land's going to be destroyed. Yes, the Assyrians are going to come. The Babylonians are going to come. They're going to wipe this place out. They're going to carry you off into bondage. You're going to be there for 70 years. Yes, all this is going to happen, but there's going to come a time of rejoicing. <laughs> At the time of Isaiah's writing, this was all a prophetical look to the future. For the people hearing this letter for the first time, living in fear of Assyria's attack, instead of celebration, there was complaint. This murmuring could also be referring to the captives in Babylon who became convinced that God had forgotten them there. They were in no mood to be joyous, let alone sing about an event they didn't even believe would happen. Isaiah 63, 17, O Lord, why hast thou made us to err from thy ways and hardened our heart from thy fear? Return for thy servants' sake the tribes of thine inheritance. The people of thy holiness have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down thy sanctuary. They complain. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee. This is God's answer. Zion complains, Israel complains, you forgot us, God. And God's reply is, letter E, God determined to never forget his children. God's answer to Israel's complaint was straightforward. Just as a mother could never forget her infant child, God could not forget his people. God said that though his children forgot him, he could never forget them. He made a commitment to them that he would never break. Jeremiah 31.20 says, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Verse 16. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Letter F. God kept his people const constantly before him. He kept his people constantly before him. This seems to describe God writing on the palm of his hand. Sometimes when I was in school, I was trying to remember something, not cheating for a test. I had a pen and a hand, and so I'd write something on my hand so I wouldn't forget it. I've seen lots of people. I've, I've seen people here come to church, their hands full black from notes for something they're going to talk about. Um, now, this is an anthropomorphism. It's not 
really saying that God has physical hands. It's an image for us to understand, so we get a picture of this. As we sometimes take a pen and scribble out something we don't want to forget, this is the picture of God scribbling down something so he won't forget. He said he would never... He said he never lost the image of the walls. Likely, this is the walls of Jerusalem. He kept that memory as a constant reminder of his love and commitment to his people. Isaiah 60 and verse 18, Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation, and thy gates praise. Interesting. The walls, he's calling salvation. The gates this is the picture that God has in his mind. These walls, he'll never forget. He'll never forget. How can I forget you? You're my children. Yes, you've disappointed me. And yes, I've had to disappoint you, or discipline you. And yes, I sent you, I'm going to send you to bondage for 70 years. And no, after that coming together, you will not be a people once again for a long time. But you'll still be my people. So I will not forget you. Verse 17. Thy children shall make haste. Thy destroyers and they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. Letter G. God looked toward a remnant returning to Jerusalem to rebuild. The immediate interpretation suggests that those in captivity in Babylon would hurry to return to Jerusalem to rebuild it and the temple. Following their 70 years of captivity, God implored them Hurry up, hurry up, hasten to rebuild. The destroyers here in this verse, probably referring to the Babylonians, would themselves be destroyed by the Medes and the Persians, from whom would rise Cyrus, the man God would use to send a remnant back to rebuild. This can also look to a time in the future when Jerusalem and its temple will be rebuilt following the tribulation by the Lord Jesus. In Nehemiah 2.17, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Verse 18, Lift up thine eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, saith the Lord, Thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all, as with an ornament, and bind them on thee as a bride doeth. Letter H. Jerusalem will be adorned with the throngs of returning, returning Jews. Adorned with the throngs of returning Jews. God challenges all to take notice of the masses returning to Jerusalem. These numbers likely include Gentile converts who see and believe that Jehovah is God. Zion, or Jerusalem, shall be clothed or ornamented with the throngs of returning Jews. The analogy here is a bride adding ornaments to her beautiful gown, making it even more radiant. In Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Verse 19, 
For thy waste and thy desolate places and the land of thy destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. And they that are swallowed, uh, they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. So the land of waste and desolate places is going to be too narrow. Hmm. Let her eye. Judah's eventual destruction will be renewed as the Jews return. The Lord spoke of the utter destruction that's going to come to Jerusalem and Judea. Could be speaking of the ruins from the Babylonian invasion, and even that which would come from the Romans later at 70 AD. Looking beyond, Jews from the far reaches of the earth will make their way back to Jerusalem during the tribulation and on into the millennium. The land that, lay in that will lay in ruins will one day be restored and it will be too small to accommodate all who come. It will be too narrow, it says. Israel's enemies that will have been responsible for its desolation will no longer be a threat. Isaiah 51.3 For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Verse 20 The children which thou shalt have, after thou hast lost the other, shall say again in thine ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Letter J, God's people will flourish once again. This likely looks beyond all the persecution and bloodshed of God's people to a time in which they will be fruitful and multiply as the sands of the seashore. So vast will be the people returning and having families, the land will not be able to handle them all. Hosea 1.10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Verse 21, Then shalt thou say in thine heart, Who hath begotten these, me these, seeing I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro? And who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where had they been? <laughs> you got to take it slowly. Letter K, once a widow deprived of her children, Jerusalem stands in awe of her new family. <laughs> Thou shalt say in thine heart, Who hath begotten me these? I've lost my children. <laughs> this is funny. This verse presents Jerusalem as a widow, stripped of all her children and taken captive. It looks to the captivity and being deported to Babylon, then returning 70 years later, or removing to and fro. This widow now looks around and sees that she has a family once again, but it's greater than was her loss. In the end times, many Gentiles will get saved and come into the fold. The tribulation will include a draw for all the saved to come to Jerusalem. The people of God... Jews and converted Gentiles will swell the land at that time. 
I have lost my children, and I'm desolate, a captive, removing to and fro. And who hath brought up these, she said. Verse 22. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles, and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. You've got to stay in the context of what's going on here in your mind to see the imagery continue. Letter L, God will call Gentiles to himself from around the world. The Lord declared that he would lift up his hand. This describes him making a gesture to people to come. It's not like this. He lifts up his hand as if to say, come. He would then set a standard or a flag high for all to see and be drawn to come to it. All who would be drawn to the Lord would come, bringing their children with them. Carrying children either in one's arms or on their shoulders is a custom in the Middle East even today. Malachi 1.11, from the rising of the sun even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 23, and kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. Thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for thee. Wait for me. Letter M. World leaders will revere the people of God in that day. It's incredible. Under the reign of Christ, world leaders will find great motivation to give honor and preference to the people of Israel. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? This, these are going to be world leaders bowing down to Jews just because they're Jews. They're going to they're going to do everything they can to help them out. Can you imagine an entourage going into Russia and standing before Putin? Can you imagine him bowing down to them, paying them homage and saying whatever you want, you can have it, anything you want. We want you to leave here blessed from us. Can you imagine? No longer will the Jews be a despised class. They will be held in great reverence. In that day, Jews will find help and provision from the Gentile rulers. All the world will know that Jesus Christ is Lord and rules in Jerusalem. In Isaiah 60 and verse 14, The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee. They'll bow to them. And all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Verse 24, Shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? Letter N, Judah doubted God's prophecy of deliverance. This seems to be a cry from God's people in response to the prophecy of deliverance. Remember to whom it's being delivered. Assyria has not even attacked them yet, and already they're getting these prophecies of being destroyed by Assyria and Babylon, and then being rebuilt and all these things happening. 
Should Judah be taken by their immediate threat, Assyria, and then by Babylon and deported into a strange land, how could they ever expect to be freed after all that? Judah recognized their guilt before God, though they ignored it and believed they would still be exempt from any consequences. Why? Because they're a Jew. But in their guilty condition, God could lawfully hold them responsible for their sin and eventually bring judgment. In that event... How could they who were guilty be freed from their captors? Letter, or Nehemiah 9.33, Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Verse 25, But thus saith the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. Letter O, God will fight for his children in the day of deliverance. God responded to their doubts by confidently declaring that he would deliver the captives from the hands of their mighty captors. He would fight for them and save their children. Zechariah 14 and verse 3 then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And who do you suppose is going to win when God fights? <laughs> Lastly, verse 26. I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweet wine, and all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Letter P. All the world will finally know that the Lord is Israel's Savior and Redeemer. The world will learn that there is no defense against a wrathful God. When the Lord stands up for his people, his enemies will be utterly destroyed. All the world will know what he wanted them to know when he first called Israel. That I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Ezekiel 39, verse 7, So will I make thy, my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. And we bring chapter number 49 to a close. What a chapter. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving to us this chapter. And Lord, it takes on such, a, such an expanded meaning when we understand that you gave it to Israel, when, or to Judah, when they were struggling so deeply in sin. And before they were even taken over by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, before any of that happened, you were giving them prophecies of what was going to happen. So here we, here we read this, looking back on the Assyrian attacks and the Babylonian captivity. And yet, Lord, we're still looking forward to your return. And so Lord, much of your prophecy that we've read tonight, prophecy that was given to these folks way back, in Isaiah's day, has still not happened. And so, Lord, we still look by faith. So would you continue to strengthen our faith? And would you help us to fulfill your will like you longed for your people to do so? Help us to look daily for your return. And thank you for it. We love you in Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless you.